Welcome to episode 48 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'm interviewing a woman from Missouri who offers people over 50 some hope for the hard times. It's a topic of great familiarity to seasoned citizens who have lost a job, had to move, experienced an empty nest, or the death of a loved one, are struggling with an illness, or caring for someone who is. Sarah Geringer is a youngin' by Forward from 50 standards, but she has been involved in women's ministries for several years. She said 2022 and 2023 were some of the most difficult years of her life. As a result, she needed hope and relied on a number of devotionals to see her through those hard times. After sharing an idea with a group of local followers, she was encouraged to assemble the collection of devotionals into a book so others could benefit from the information as well. To tell us more about her book and how it can help people who are experiencing particularly trying moments in their lives, please welcome author Sarah Geringer to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. I really appreciate the time. This is a subject matter that I think resonates with a lot of seasoned citizens because they all have hard days. It comes from losing a job, it might be an illness, a death in the family, or moving to a new location. So the fact that you are a topic expert on hope for the hard days intrigues me. And I'd like to welcome you to the show. And how did you come up with or what prompted you to write this book? Well, thanks for asking. Actually, this is my seventh book. And so local people, uh, I have a group of local followers, which is a blessing. They're used to seeing me at local craft fairs in November. And so they're asking me, okay, when's your next book coming out? So I prepared this book because there's a demand for my local fans. And so, of course, I knew my non-local fans would like it too. For five years, I wrote on Fridays for Woman to Woman Ministries. So I had a huge collection of devotionals just sitting there. And I thought, I think the thing people are looking for most of all is hope right now. It's been just so difficult post-pandemic. And my life is like that too. Actually, 2022 and 2023 have been some of the hardest years I've ever lived. And so what I did is I looked through that gigantic group of devotions and I pulled out the ones that I felt spoke most about hope and I organized them into 14 different categories. And I know people seem to be liking more short form reads now. So that's why I wanted to make it into a devotional to make it convenient for people who still want to read, but maybe they're short on time. And I just want to talk about the hard things that I've gone through. People know me in all of my books, blog posts, podcasts. I don't shy away from the hard stuff because I think we have to talk about it if we're going to get past it. So I put it in this book too. I agree. So that was my inspiration for it. And by short form reads, you're talking like a page or two per devotional, right? Not like a whole yeah. chapter. Most of them are just, I have the book right here in front of me. Okay. So I, I just had to order more copies, which is a good situation to have when you need more. So each of them 
really, honestly, no more than three. I didn't really, I didn't diverge from the normal devotions very much, except for, as I said, it was for woman-to-woman ministries. Many of my followers, my male followers, have reached out to me and have said, I know you say you write for women, but I really enjoy your stuff too. And so I wanted to make this for both men and women. So I had to change a few little details, some pronouns and things in some of the devotions. But otherwise, it's pretty much original. And my daughter, she's 15. I have three kids, all teenagers. But she is into graphic design, so she actually helped me, advise me on the cover. Even though I have a degree in graphic design, she's, Mom, you need to use these colors, these fonts. And she wanted, I said, no, it's for both men and women. So that's why she helped me design it in this way. And she said, I think this is your best cover yet because she helps contribute. <laughs> that's sweet. How nice yeah. for your daughter to be able to help you with a book project. I know. What I know. It's great. And what a memory. Yes. I know. It's great. It's great. What are some of the main subjects or sections of your book? I know that you have 14 main chapters, right? Sections, I guess okay. I would call them. So I start with God's unchanging character gives us hope. When these two years that have been so difficult for me, that's the thing that was constant in the chaos I was facing fate, I could look at God's character, which doesn't change. And I think that's the best place to start. And then I uh, move right into hope in spiritual battles. So I have faced intense spiritual warfare every time I publish a book. So if you're nodding, you know what I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I think there are still a lot of Christians who either are uninformed about spiritual warfare or skeptical about mm -hmm. it. And so I wanted to put that toward the front of the book so that people understand that we're fighting spiritual battles, not just everyday battles. And especially in every day that we live is a day closer to the time that Jesus comes back, like he promised. And I feel like that's why the spiritual warfare is intensifying. It could only be decades from now. With the advances in technology, the heated up conflicts in the Middle East again, just there's all kinds of signs that are pointing to it's sooner rather than later. And so I feel like we need help in those spiritual battles, especially if people don't understand what that even is. Mm -hmm. So I want to educate. From my own experience, I talk about it in here, what it's like to face it. Right. Then I talk about trusting God, so putting our trust in God. And then I move into other, another thing I am known for is just being very practical. So other sections include overcoming worry and weariness that's on hard a, days. That's a big one. That's a big one, worry and anxiety in face and using uh, practical strategies from God's word to overcome that. Another one is prioritizing self-care on hard days. That can be challenging for us. I talk about sleep deprivation, which I know is a challenge for most of us as we get older. I've talked to a number yeah. of women who have said that is a big problem is prioritizing self-care because they are 
pulled into so many different directions, taking care of people that they love, whether it's their parents, their spouse, their children, their business, or whatever the case might be. They push self-care to the very bottom, and it really needs to be elevated because if mom loses it, everything is lost. Everybody loses hope. It's true. And knowing that scripture encourages us to do, that's why I wanted to actually point it out from a scripture basis, as well as my own experience. I'm having to, I'm having to learn that myself, even in this season, that it's okay. It's not just okay. It's necessary to do that. Another big section is a thread that goes through the whole book is relationship adjustments for the hard days. I think that one of our big sources of stress and loss of hope, honestly, is in our relationships. And if we can be intentional about that and improve it um, and have perspective based on God's word, we can really relieve a lot of our anxiety and stress and worry. And when I'm speaking, when I think about this, when I'm speaking to like the baby boomer, um, I have some really good baby boomer friends and they have told me we, ha- we struggle with being honest and open in relationships because our parents said nothing leaves this family. We don't speak bad about the family. I'm a Gen Xer. And we Gen Xers want authenticity and honesty and openness. And we want it, but also millennials, Gen Z, they they want it even more. So what I challenge people to do is to be more upfront, more honest and open. And that can build some bridges in relationships that you have with your adult children, with your grandchildren with just coworkers that you might, or people in your church. We need you. We really need your wisdom and we need your honesty about hard stuff that you went through because then we're better equipped when we go through hard things. So I talk about that on my podcast for adult children of divorce too. I've been surprised how many parents of adult children of divorce listen to it because they want a different perspective. So I wanted to make sure I put that in this book. And then the last few sections are just about being intentional, being disciplined, um, developing spiritual maturity. And then the last one is cultivating gratitude. We can have gratitude even on the hard days, not for the hard things. I'm really, I'm, I really emphasize that. The Bible does not say be thankful for what's going on because that's just craziness to say thank you for these terrible things that come into our life. But it goes all the way back to the beginning that we can be thankful because God is faithful. God is in control. God is sovereign. Those kind of things. So he will walk us through the problems, not around them. Yeah, that's what I try to do. (laughs) I like those sections. I can imagine when you're talking about spiritual warfare, that the enemy is going to zero in on relationships first, because if he can destroy a relationship or damage it in some way, it can really impact every other aspect of your life. And I think it probably comes to marriages first. If you can drive that wedge between husband and wife, all kinds of nasty things can happen after that. I agree with that. 
completely. And I think that's probably a bigger problem for seasoned citizens than they'd care to admit, because they've devoted all of their life to raising kids. And when the kids leave the house, suddenly they, they discover that there are two strangers living in that house now, because they haven't put in enough effort or attention to the marriage relationship. Would you agree with that? I would agree that can be very common. And I'm in a season where I experienced an unwanted divorce, but alcoholism and mental illness affected that. So those are things that I fought with all my might. Mm -hmm. And you can't just be one person to save a marriage. You ha it has to be two people working exactly. together. So then you've got this other group of people who are single, maybe not of their own accord. And then what do you do? Because then you're going through these seasons where you thought you were going to make new memories or reconnect or travel or whatever you want to do. And you're by yourself. And that's also very difficult. And I feel like statistics are saying there's more and more divorces after 30 years, after 40 years of marriage. And that's disconcerting too. But for myself, honestly, trusting in God's sovereignty, trusting that he can redeem the years the locusts have eaten and renewing our hope in him and building ourselves up. And this is true whether you're married or you're single. Building yourself up in your relationship with uh, Christ can make you a better, more humble servant in in your relationships i was just talking about this verse yesterday with one of my clients ephesians 5 21 says submit to one another out of reverence for christ and of course ephesians 5 is talking about marriage but really that's a principle that applies to any relationship that we have because when we think about jesus the night before he was crucified is when he washed his disciples feet and this is the king of kings doing this, and he's taking on the role of servant. And so he was submitting himself to his disciples, even though he's the one who we're all going to worship for eternity in heaven. So it's not just for, it's not just for husbands and wives, but it's any situation where if you're going to be a person that is going to hold hope inside of you, no matter what happens, you have to be a humble person because that's where God meets us. He doesn't want to talk with you if you're too arrogant and full of yourself and not willing to listen and not willing to submit to him. This is something I had to wrestle with. I had to wrestle with the Pharisee I was, honestly. Yeah, after going to a private Christian college, I had to have that kind of worked out of me. But it's never too late. Any season of life that we're in, it's never too late to come to God and say, I want a fresh start mm -hmm. and I need your help. And I know I can't do it by myself. I've tried. It didn't work. And I'm looking for help. And that's, I just hope that my book or any of the books that I've written or any of the content I produce guides people along that path toward a deeper relationship with Christ. I like that. I also like the section on overcoming worry and weariness, because I think that what 
we're seeing more and more of is a dog pile of problems that it's just one thing after another and it's unrelenting. So how can people use hope or why is hope even necessary for building the kind of resiliency to carry us through all of these situations? I heard an interesting sermon on podcast by Tim Keller. So he passed away last year, well-known pastor uh, from New York City. And he said that every single civilization in world history put their hope in the world beyond. Didn't matter what religion it was, Christianity, Judaism, every single civilization was living for the hope that was beyond. And he said, since the 20th century, Western culture is the first one in history that is just living for today. Mm. And then that's thinking about the legacy. I think I've always been fascinated with Japanese and Chinese culture because they're very reverent for their ancestors. It's not a Christian worldview, but I think there's a lot of goodness that we can study from the way that they revere their ancestors and the legacy that their family has passed on and that they know that when they die, they're going to be reunited with their ancestors. That's the hope that they have in their traditions. And I've been thinking about that ever since I've listened to that several months ago of if we're going to have hope as Christians in this postmodern worldview, this Edenistic pluralistic world that we're living in right now. We have to put on that mindset that all these other civilizations have had before us, which is our hope lies in the world beyond us. Mm -hmm. And not just that, because I've been a Christian my whole life, which is a huge blessing. I don't remember never not believing, right? But we have hope not just for life in heaven, we have hope for right now. We have hope that God can redeem our relationships. We have hope that God can use us as instruments of change in our own communities, in our own churches, in our own homes. And I think that's where we need to look because I'm just being super honest right now. I need hope for today, next week, next month, not just Whenever I'm in heaven, wherever that is, maybe that's decades away. Maybe it's sooner than that, right? I need hope for right now. And when I look at the headlines, I just, my personality as a, I'm an Enneagram one wing nine, but nines are peacemakers, peace seekers. So when I'm stressed out, my nine wing flares up and I want to withdraw, right? So I get overwhelmed by the headlines. But where can I go back? I can go back to my devotions, not the ones I've written necessarily. I'm saying my own rhythms, my spiritual disciplines. So every day, even in these two years that have just been personally just horrific, honestly, even on days that I didn't feel like it because it was just really hard, I still prayed, read my Bible read my devotional, meditated on God's word. I still kept going to church. I still kept listening to Christian music because I knew, and, and now that I'm starting to come out of this 
deep valley that I've been in the last two years, I can look back and say that was one of the smartest things I did is I kept walking. I kept prodding that path because even when I didn't feel like it, it was still tethering me to God. And it's just like how the 80-year-old version of Sarah is going to say, thank you for doing your cardio every day, right? right? It didn't necessarily prevent me from getting cancer or whatever is in my future, right? But it gave me a healthier life and it kept me in greater service to the Lord in my younger years because I was putting in that faithful time of discipline when I was younger. It's the same in our spiritual lives. We have to like take our daily vitamins basically by doing those rhythms. And the best book that you can read on that is Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. It's a contemporary Christian classic. And it will lay all those out in greater detail than I just described. If you're curious about the spiritual disciplines. But I've read that book, yes. It's excellent. But basically, that's what we have to do, whether we feel like it or not. We need to be pouring into ourselves the truth to combat the lies and the fear and the hatred that the world is throwing at us um, every day. And it, it does seem to really have really be intensifying since the pandemic happened, I feel like. What routines do you follow to ensure you have a productive day? I, every morning... I have three dogs, so I have to prioritize them first. They just, they won't shut up unless <laughs> I, but um, I take care of them first. And then I uh, get my hot tea with honey. And tea is very good for you, by the way. And I drink decaf, so it's not for caffeine. It's for the setting the mood. Okay, I've done this for more than 20 years. I start with, for about 18 years, I did the one-year Bible every single day, and I would meditate on a scripture. Lately, the last few years, I heard an uh, interview. Dave Ramsey said, if you do anything long enough, you're going to get bored. And that was so freeing to me because I felt guilty, honestly, about being bored with my Bible readings. But I'm like, I've done it for 18 years. That's a long time. So I started doing I started reading from different translations. That helped, but also just doing devotionals. So one of my favorite devotionals these last couple of years has been Restoration Year by John Eldridge. Mm -hmm. I love this book. It's really all about hope for now and for the kingdom to come. It's based on his book, All Things New, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Anyway, I have been switching that up a little bit the last couple of years by doing devotions while I'm eating breakfast. So this is my routine. This year I'm doing a book called Meditations on Money because I'm trying to I'm trying to prioritize financial goals for this year. And then also I'm reading the one year book of Christian history, which is really cool because it talks about famous Christians in history, which most of us don't even know. And I'm like, I'm getting ready for heaven because I want to have these great conversations with all these people. Whenever that happens, I want to say, oh, I, I remember reading a devotion about you one day. So I'm doing those. I have a walking desk. So it's just a treadmill that goes under a raised desk. 
So I do some of my work at that every single day. So I have that slow burn, long-term cardio, usually for about 45 to 60 minutes a day, I walk on that. And then I'm doing free weights too, because once you get past 40, just cardio doesn't cut it. So I have to do weight training. And I eat healthy. Before we came on this, I chopped up some vegetable salad for lunch. So I try to, I try to eat healthy nutrients. And you might be listening to this and you're like, why are you talking about food? Because it really matters. It matters in terms of, it all ties together. Our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, relational health. All these things tie together. and. I wanted to say too, these have taken a long time for me to develop as rhythms. So I hope this doesn't discourage anyone who's listening. You just have to keep doing these things. And if you get off track, just get back on track the next day. Don't say, oh, the whole week is ruined because I four slices of pizza for dinner or whatever, right? You just have to get right back on track. Those are all essential for my overall well-being honestly and the last thing i'll say is taking naps and i love naps and i take them at least five days a week and they just reset me they don't have to be long they can be 20 or 30 minutes and that's really good for my overall health too and reading every day i read over 100 books a year so wow reading is part of my reading and journaling pretty much every day I like the idea of doing a devotion at breakfast or, or while you're having breakfast because so many people start their day by turning on the news and having breakfast and ingesting all of the world's problems right from the get-go. And I read a study that was done not too long ago that said that if you consume 12 minutes of news in the morning, your whole day is shot. That's it. Your attitude for the entire day is gone. And it's just... I like the idea that you're approaching it from a devotional standpoint. I think that's very unique. You're going to think I'm super old school, Greg, but honestly, the I do read my local newspaper's daily headlines that I get via email, but th that's local news, so mm -hmm. it's pretty boring compared to <laughs> national or world news. My news intake is the actual physical Sunday newspaper. That's it. Wow. I, I limit myself on purpose because like I said, I get really worried. So like I, I yep. leave it for Sundays after church, after I spent this whole time with God and I'll read the opinion articles and I'll read the world news. And then I just decide those are my calls to pray rather than worry. Well, that's good. You know, I'm going to pray because this situation's going on here, here, or here, or here. I'm going to turn it into prayer. And that's what Philippians tells us to do. It says, do not be anxious for anything. Instead, pray about everything. So it, it's literally following a biblical directive to do that. Mm -hmm. And that does give me greater peace. It Because I don't think you should be completely unaware of what's going on. But like once a week, I've been doing that for years and that's enough for me. That's all I care about. My kids, my three teenagers will tell me if something else. <laughs> so... That's a good way to build up the resiliency so that you're not being bombarded continuously with all of the world's problems. I understand that you have a real passion for seasoned citizens. How did that develop? 
Yes, I am the oldest great-grandchild in my family and the oldest grandchild, too. As we were talking before we came on, my grandparents helped raise me in a divorced home situation. But also, I have many treasured memories with my great-grandparents. My great-grandpa died when I was 12. My great-grandma died when I was 18. And so I have, I actually inherited my great-grandma's photographic memory. So I have many memories going to the farm and just enjoying that slower pace of life and seeing them as just people of faith who walked it out. Mm -hmm. And so they made a huge impression on my life. And so now I write for a publication that's called Hopeful Living, and it's for senior adults. It's large print, and it's devotions, and it's a quarterly publication. And you can read it online, actually, and it's even large print online. So it's Hopeful with two L's and then Living if you want to Google that. But also they do Lenten devotionals and they do Advent devotionals. So I have local senior adults coming up to me and they're saying, I saw your devotion today. I've always just felt very comfortable with the older people in my life because I was around them so much when I was a little kid. I know you've written seven books now. And you felt a calling to be a writer at a concert of all places. How did that come about? Even though I mostly listen to Christian music and 90s pop, because that's my teen years, right? Probably my favorite genre of music is 70s singer-songwriter. Okay? Just love it. And so when I was a teenager, I loved James Taylor. He was one of my favorites. I listened to his greatest hit CD every single night because we only had, this was the early 90s. Most of us had five or six CDs. Like they were really expensive. I just had the same ones and I would listen to that. And as a, as a teenager, I was depressed and his songs really soothed and comforted. And I got to see him in concert in St. Louis when I was teen. And this is in the summertime and we're sitting, it's an outdoor amphitheater and there was a full moon. And I remember when he started singing Fire and Rain, which is a song about loss. It's probably his most famous song, I think, even still. I was looking at the moon and listening to him. And of course, the, the whole giant crowd was very responsive to this song. And the Holy Spirit said to me, just not audibly, but just very clearly in my spirit. And he said, you will be a writer. And I think because even though I'm intaking it through music at the moment, I knew James Taylor's writing was so powerful through his songs. I think the Holy Spirit was showing me, you will do similar things in your life work someday. And becoming a writer, writing is one of the toughest industries that you can work in. Indeed. It is, it's very difficult to be successful enough to make a living at it. And then if you're a Christian writer, like I said, you're going to face spiritual warfare constantly because you're promoting God's kingdom yep. through your work. 
And so I didn't start writing publicly until 2010 when I started blogging. That was in kind of the heydays of blogging. And I started publishing, self-publishing in 2016. So it's a long process. My first traditionally published book came out in 2019. It just takes a long time. And so when I would get discouraged or try to give, think I needed to give up on my dream and just get a day job and suck it up, get it. I would remember that experience back on that hillside in St. Louis in 1990 and remember this promise that God had spoken over me. And very much like Abraham, it, it almost took about 25 years for that to manifest. But because the Lord chose me, it was something I could reflect on when I was losing hope. I could go back to what the Lord said, what he had spoken over my life. And then it was also a goal to pursue. It's if God said this, I have to do my part. It's like the, the parable of the five talents has always been one of my favorites. And Jesus is telling a story about a man gave, he was going to go away. And so he gave one person five talents, one person two, and one person one. And then he told them to invest them. And then he was going to come back from his trip and check in. I've always felt like I was the five talent person. And knowing that the Lord expects me to do something with this. He didn't just give this to me for my own fit. Mm -hmm. He wants me. The way we invest as writers is we write to help other people or educate them or entertain them, lift their spirits. And whether you're a writer or not listening to this podcast, of course, God has given you talents too that you're meant to invest in other people mainly. And that was something that was the other side of that promise of, okay, God's not just going to drop this out of the sky for me. I have to bear fruit in working with him on this. And so it was a lot of time and effort, practice, and just plain old hard work, honestly, to get me to this point. But I'm living, I've wanted to be a writer since I was 13. When my teacher said that my writing was fun to read, I, I'm living my dream now. And that's a really good feeling. That's fun. I was 15 when my teacher pulled me aside and, and saw in a writer in me and really poured his life into helping me develop that skill. It's amazing what teachers can do at that age. Yes, so, absolutely. I was looking over your website and I saw that sunflowers are an important image on that. And what do sunflowers represent to you? Yeah, that's part of my brand because, first of all, I love flowers. It's just flowers, actually, if you buy fresh flowers and put them on your table, it can literally lift your spirits. It's scientifically proven. The Lord puts desire and love for beauty in our hearts, and that's part of it. But also, I grow sunflowers in my garden every year. I love gardening. It's probably my number one hobby. Besides making art, because I have an art degree too. So they follow the sun with their faces. And they're one of the few, but most flowers don't do that. But sunflowers are, you can watch this happen during the day. And then when they're finished, they're, they're drooping their heads down because it's so heavy, full of seeds. And if I want the seeds, I have to hurry up and get them from my garden because the birds will just pick them clean. And so sunflowers are 
interestingly enough, they don't need, they prefer just average soil. They don't need a lot of nutrients and they're one of the tallest flowers in the garden. And then they probably feed more animals than any other flower, honestly. What I saw, again, going back to this parable of the talents, I've got to pour myself out. If I, even if I'm growing in less than perfect conditions, God can rise me up and he can make me a benefactor to other people through my service to them. So yeah, that's been my metaphor that I come back to over and over again as a writer. And then plus I just, I love sunflowers too. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I know you're still a youngin and not quite 50, but do you have any advice for people who are over 50 regarding facing hard times or pursuing direction for their lives? I'll tell you a quote that I read in one of Pete Scazzaro's book. It's called, I believe it's called Emotionally Healthy Leadership. Or that's, I get this confused because that's his podcast. I love his podcast. It's my favorite. But in his most recent book, he says that your 60s and 70s can be your most productive and satisfying years. And I'm reading this, I'm in my 40s. And that has fascinated me because he says, you're finished raising your kids. Probably you're finished helping your parents, your aging parents, they've moved on. You're more financially secure and you still have good enough health to enjoy life and be productive. And so he challenges, that's the life stage he's in. And he challenges people to not just use that time for playing golf and traveling and indulging, right? Which is what our culture says. Yes. You deserve it. You deserve to sit back and just do whatever. But use the energy and wisdom and even resources that you have in that time of life to reinvest back into people mm -hmm. and do what you're doing. Start a podcast, write a book. Get involved in a ministry in your church. Just start hosting a Bible study in your home. Go on mission trips. There are endless possibilities. In our community right now, our church has a literacy program. So you just volunteer to go read with children at some of the local school. So there's all kinds of things you could do. I know that you can go to the hospital. You have to go through a little bit of training, but you just hold newborn babies. There's so many things that you can do to bless younger generations. And I can tell you as a youngin, like you said, I need that. I want that from older adults. I want that wisdom. I want that support and just camaraderie and friendship, honestly. So you have so much to offer and that can actually be your golden years of offering the goodness of yourself to other people, if that's what you choose to do with that time. I think a lot of seasoned citizens do not realize that they still have the ability to be used as instruments of change in impacting the lives of other people. So I'm glad to hear you say that. I'll tell you one last story. My, my grandma's 85 years old and she is home ridden now. She has to have someone drive her to her appointments. And I think she... Having moved off the family farm in the last 
year and a half, it's easy to feel useless, right? She spends hours every day talking to other widows on the phone, just listening to them, praying for them. And I tell her all the time, I'm like, Grandma, you're probably doing a more important ministry than I do Mm -hmm. as a public figure. Because she's got her six to 10 little old ladies. She's just being a support for them. And that's holy and sacred ministry to the Lord. I know it is. I agree. It's very encouraging. And she has more time to pray than I do. (laughs) She has all kinds of time to pray. And prayer is so important in this time in history in which we are. I would agree. So it doesn't matter as long as you are breathing, God has a plan for you. And as long as you're able to just say prayers in your mind, even if you can't speak them with your lips anymore, you can be praying. And that, that will move mountains. That's what Jesus said. That's great advice. How can people connect with you, Sarah, if they would like to get in touch with you or follow you? The best place you just go to, sarahgeringer.com. I have a little box there that has all of my social media. I'm pretty much on all of them. So you can just pick your favorite place and follow me there. And of course, if you want to sign up for my email newsletter, I see I send it twice a month. And then you hear about things first that are coming out for me. Well, that's cool. Is that the Tea on Tuesdays newsletter? Wonderful. Super. Well, thank you very much for your time today. This has been great information, and I think it will be inspirational to people over 50. I hope so, too. Thank you so much for hosting me. I enjoyed speaking with Sarah Geringer about her book, Hope for the Hard Days. The book is a collection of short-form devotionals, which mean they are less than three pages in length. They are designed to be read quickly so people can meditate on the message contained in them. Sarah's 15-year-old daughter, who has a keen eye for graphic design, even got involved in the project by helping to create the covers so that it appeals to men and women. The 100 devotionals are sorted into 14 different chapters, including sections such as God's Unchanging Character Gives Us Hope, Hope in Spiritual Battles, Uplifting Your Spirit on the Hard Days, Overcoming Worry and Weariness on the Hard Days, and Handling Grief on the Hard Days. There are a number of reasons why people struggle through hard times, and Sarah said they should not discount spiritual warfare, which is intentionally inflicted to wear us down and keep us without hope. Sarah also stresses the importance of self-care, which is an often overlooked area for women who feel pulled in many directions and priorities in order to care for or meet the needs of many people. Going through hard times can take its toll on personal relationships too, Sarah explained. She noted how older folks tend not to want to talk badly about family members, yet younger generations expect honesty, openness, and authenticity in relationships. In the past, Sarah said people lived for hope of what lies ahead in terms of heavenly things. The modern generation is the first in history to live more for today. In fact, with the world moving at a blistering speed today, people need hope just to get them through the day and the week. Without that hope, people can fall into addictions or depression when they try to numb the pain of feeling there is no hope for a better life. I like the routine Sarah follows to ensure she has more peace in her life, which starts with quiet time, Bible study, and reading devotionals. 
However, she also gets in cardio training, maintains a healthy diet, and takes plenty of naps because it works to tie in our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and relational health. Sarah has a real passion for seasoned citizens. Her grandparents played a big role in raising her as a child. She loves having the perspective of older generations to guide her decision making. As a result, Sarah thinks older folks can continue to play a big role in the lives of younger generations by conveying their wisdom and experience. She outlined several things that people over 50 can do to make a difference in the lives of others. Sarah recalled how her 85-year-old grandmother is confined to her home today, but still invests hours every day talking to other widows on the phone, listening to their stories, and praying for them. That's something anyone over 50 can do to help end the epidemic of loneliness among our seasoned citizens. To connect with Sarah, visit www.sarahgeringer.com. People can subscribe to her inspirational newsletter titled Tea on Tuesdays, which comes out twice a month. All seven of Sarah's books, including Hope for the Hard Days, are available on her website or on Amazon.com. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help at identifying a purpose for your life or get help at planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.